That is correct. You're listening to WMUA Amherst and the second hour of Barbarian in the Valley. This is going to be a new show to WMUA. It runs from noon to 2 on Sundays. And you now have entered the live section of it. Okay, We are now live and we'll be taking calls, 413-545-3691. I know we're going to get calls because I've, I've made people promise that they would call. And so those people who I made promise, we'll get you on air. It's a real privilege to be here uh, echoing over the valley, all right? And if you are confused by the last hour, then congratulations. That was the effect. I actually had some people texting me saying, are you on air? Are you on air? You know, expecting to hear my voice, but it won't all be my voice. It'll be a bunch of stuff. And if you like that, then keep listening. But also, if you like that, I'd recommend trying Joe Frank sometime. Okay, Joe Frank is a legendary WMYC KCRW public radio experimental theater guy. And you can find him online. He passed away a couple years ago. So I feel like there's definitely a hole to be filled. And we're going to try to fill it here at Barbarian in the Valley. Uh, It's a gloomy weather day, right? It is just pouring rain, some more cold weather for Mother's Day. I'm very blessed. I have such a wonderful mother, and she's been so good to me. And my wife, she's such a good mom, too. She's out there listening with my daughter, maybe in the Prius, in the driveway. I made her. I told her, I said, you got to take Harbor out to the car, okay? I want to prove to her I'm on radio because I've been promising that I would be on radio, and now here I am. I'm on radio. Now, uh, the track underneath us, wow, you know, that's a commitment. I don't know if you hear it well enough. Let me just boost it for a second. Oh, yeah. Holy smokes. That's Diodato, and that's a nine-minute prog rock symphony, uh, uh, basically Oslo Sprock Zarathustra disco version, okay? And I can remember the last time I had a, a weekly show was when I was in high school in the late 80s. And I can remember being in the studio and thinking, yeah, I'm going to play this 10-minute track. This is going to be awesome. Feeling really strong and committed to it. And, you know, also thinking this is a good break time for me, too. I can go out and, like, check out the records or do some graffiti on the wall or whatever whatever I need to do. And I'd send that 10-minute track on. And about two and a half minutes in, I would think, oh, man, this is, this is really long. This is a long track. And it probably would have had lyrics, right? So I couldn't really fade it out that easily. And then I'd be thinking about the listening audience, you know, the thousands of people listening to my radio show, you know, when in reality, it's probably just my mom, you know, thanks, mom. And but in my imagination, I got hundreds or thousands of people out there saying, thinking, when is this track going to end? And that cold sweat would come and I would think, do I bring this track down? You know, but that's going to look really bad, too. And I would actually imagine people speaking to the advisor of the radio station or maybe even coming down and visiting the radio station trying to figure out who would put on a 10-minute prog rock track. But we're not going to have that problem today. Now, we do have a guest on the radio show today, and um, he's easily identifiable guest for two reasons, okay? And I really think that anyone listening to my voice live, if you're not streaming this, all I'm going to say, two words, I have four words, two words, and then two words. Two words, bright orange Toyota. Well, the, okay, <clears throat> okay, back up because that's more than two words. Orange van, and that's really all I need to say because you've seen this orange van. It almost feels like a Google dot moving through the valley. Okay, and then the other thing I'll say is American flag. Okay, because if this, if you've seen the person emerge from this orange van, he's got an American flag on his back. Okay, and that's a whole like argument that we have. I'm not. Not, not that I don't approve the American flag, far from it, but 
we might get into it. Now, today we're going to talk about cults a little bit. We're both fascinated by cults. We both wonder how you could make that work. Not that we're going to try to make a cult started, okay? I mean, I don't know about him. I can't speak for him. Although it did occur to me on the ride over. Yeah, I'm 48 years old. You know, I always wanted to be famous. And so many things are no longer open to me at 48 years old, right? My first goal, center field, right? My second goal, president of the United States. You know, that's still available, but let's be honest. You know, it's like a 50-50 at this point. It's not a good shot. And then I wanted to be a rock star. That's probably not going to happen. But if you actually look at cult leaders, a lot of middle-aged cult leaders. Okay, that's not uncommon. That's really your last swing at being famous is to be a cult leader. So just want to stress here because I teach in the Valley. I'm not starting a cult, okay? That's not the intention. But uh, we thought it would be good to like at least kick it around a little bit. All right. So Waylon will be on with us in a little bit. And yes, we're taking phone calls, 413-545-3691, and also playing music. And on that note, I'm going to boost this up just a little bit so you can enjoy it. I'll tell you, musicians like this, they were not drinking or taking drugs. Okay, if you listen to this, this is some stone-cold sober soul. All right, no one is even, maybe they're on caffeine and cigarettes. Even the dissonance in this is programmed, you know, and yet it still has soul. I'm going to let you listen to that for a little bit. back and i'll tell you this wmua studio is just a beautiful studio they have some great equipment here and it's a it's a real privilege to be in such a spot um we're still waiting for Waylon to arrive he is not here so uh, i don't know this is pretty typical of him i don't know if anyone out there has seen an orange van i don't i wait yeah your mic's not on pal so okay i'm just kidding he is here here we go say hi Waylon. hey First off, you keep on talking about my orange van. I parked illegally over there, so it's like... Okay. So first off, eight years here at UMass, so I put in my time here. You're an alumni. So I have made it a basically a 
profession to park illegally around here. Mm. So I hope that the uh, <laughs> one, it's it's really hard to do and be inconspicuous with the orange van. Yeah, this so, is it's also hard to do when you have an orange van and you're alerting any security staff who's listening <laughs> to the fact that you've done it only, for eight years. The only people that are that are on existence in, on campus well, right Well, I'll now. tell you, it is quiet here, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's so weird. It's such a weird... I mean, I lived here year-round, so it's just like, you know, it gets dead, but Oof. it gets real dead. Oh, yeah. Real well, it's fast. the day after graduation. Yeah. So maybe summer classes will start at some point, but it is quiet. Yeah. 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 All right, well, good for you. You could have parked in the parking lot for free. Where, this is which right parking there. lot are you talking the about? The parking lot that's... I don't know if oh, our listeners really no, want to no, no, hear no. all it's this. It's permit, buddy. It's permit. It's definitely mm, permit. No, it isn't. Okay, listen. You know, I thought we were going to talk about some serious stuff. I did want to address, you were saying that you were trying to get a Dungeons & Dragons game going today. Okay, so. Dungeons & Dragons. I play Dungeons & Dragons with my friends. Yes, I'm a 32-year-old man with a mm-hmm. single man. That mm-hmm. I'm actually, my name is Bullvine the Brash. F- frequently Rat single. King of Dungmar. So, yes. Say that again. Bullvine the Brash, Rat King of Dungmar. Is that I a made barbarian, up an entire story. Do you, want, do you want to hear the story? Let's see if we have time at the end okay. of the hour. Okay. I'll, do, you know I'll even do it I mean. in my accent, too. I'll, I'll do it in my well, accent. Well, that does make it more desirable, but let's just see if we can really budget that in. Okay. Well, anyways, uh, six people, you know, and I'm the ringleader of this entire thing. I'm mm. the ringleader of the of operation. Course. And texting. So first off, iMessage. Everybody has iPhones except two people in this, in, in this message. So immediately... It's, oh, I didn't get that message. I didn't get this message. So then you have to go and privately message them on this or that. And it just becomes this huge mess, this huge circus to try to get all these people in one room on one day. Yes. And, I mean, it's Sunday. Who does stuff on Sunday? Sunday is just for anxiety for Monday. That's the only Mm -hmm. thing. And so that was like the day that you're going to do it. Yeah. Couldn't get it done. Couldn't get it done. Well, I think that that would be more like a late night kind of drinking thing, wouldn't it? Well, we do do that too, but, you know, even then it's like, oh, you know, give up your Friday to, you know, roll a D20 for six hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't get me Good wrong, point. we still Especially do Especially when you're it, single. Yeah. You know, that's going to keep you there. Yeah. Uh, I just want to say that I feel like it's hipsters like you that ruin everything. Okay. Oh, for sure. I well, mean, it doesn't belong to you. We'll say it's people with confidence that ruin everything. Mm. Actually, the people with confidence that start to go into something, and then the hipsters are the ones that adopt it with the lack of confidence, rather. So who Does are you? Does that make sense? So I'll go into it. I'll, I'm bullvine the brash, first off. I'm unashamed. Oh, I'm unashamed of my of I don't my know if you're really... Uh, uh, I'm not sure you're laser point on this. Like, there have been <laughs> articles out there about Dungeons and & Dragons and hipsters. I think you might be second generation. So here, wait, 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 wait. Okay, so how detailed? So to me, a hipster in this situation would say that they play it, but they actually don't get. They don't delve deep into it. They want to be at the coffee shop talking about it with their friends rather than actually playing it. Like I'm a level five baby. Oh, you're actually good at I'm it. I'm a you know my base attack bonus is plus eleven. <laughs> That's the other side of your personality. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you are tethered to the earth by your um, arrogant uh, arrogance and, uh, like, you know, actual, like, you're actually pretty good. You're pretty good at things. (laughs) So, like, on that note, you know, we were having this really pretty interesting conversation about cults. Yep. And it seems to be in the air, cults. 
I, a lot of I'm talk fascinated. About it. I love cults. I mean, yeah. I love the idea. It's just like when people okay, say. Okay, so let's just okay, stop and okay. say that Jeremy Whalen, a high school history teacher, in, uh, no, high school tech teacher in Northampton, <laughs> just said, I love cults. Love, love the cults. Okay. Well, here's, here's why. First off, you have to look, you have to, when I say that, you have to extract the ideology, the good mm-hmm. ideology, out of the idea. Just like I wear American flag on the back of all my jackets. First off, the, the, the thing that annoys me about that is everybody thinks I'm conservative. Not going to go there right now. But okay. I love America because I extract the positive ideologies that we have. I know that there's other bad things going on. But if you can manage those, find solutions to those, then you can move on. Same thing with cults. If you, we were, we were talking about wild, wild country, okay? And I don't know if, I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, but they do some dark things in, mm-hmm. the, in the show. And, you know, aside from that, I mean, wa- I watched the first three episodes. I was like, oh, I'm pro-cult. Yes, well, like, I mean, that's what the documentary does well. Now, let me, let's just tell the listeners, first of all, probably the best documentary I've ever seen is oh, Wild, Wild yeah. Country. Cin- cinematography uh, on point. Oh, and the it's, story it's is just amazing. And it's of a cult of the sannyasins who kind of have to leave India. It seems like the heat's going on them in India. They find an empty piece of land the size of Manhattan in Oregon. And this very parched barren, spot. Nothing. They descend on this spot and really turn it into an Eden. And then let me Literally, finish. Yeah. yeah. Let me finish here. And let me just do this and then I'll bring you back gotcha. in. Um, they turn it into an Eden. They're doing all this cool stuff. That it is like a cult. I mean, I mean, everyone's wearing red. Everyone's got a glossy look in their eye. It's a free love thing. So that's part of it. And then they uh want to kind of protect what they've done and they want to incorporate as a town and when they're not really able to incorporate as a town they run for like county commissioner and they run headlong into these Oregonians you know who are in the middle of nowhere Uh, these people are not used to like any visitors much less thousands of people dressed in red and at that point Sheila who's the second in charge of this the sannyasins really goes wild (laughs) and starts poisoning people at the like salad bar in town, and it really kind of oh yeah, it I mean it falls apart. It's, and so, if you're listening and you haven't seen this thing, it's tr- just a tremendous yeah, you analysis. Gotta watch it. You now, gotta watch it. You you think we were just talking the other day? You think you could have kept that thing going? So it depends on what part you come in. I mean, at, at some point you're just too far gone. I, you know, when you're trying to. You know, kill the attorney general and wipe salmonella. On yeah, let's go tacos. back. Let's go it's before like, that. Okay. So, so let me let me yeah. go. Let me say where we are. You have done this awesome thing in the middle of nowhere. You've created this Eden. You're trying to just incorporate as a town, which is totally reasonable, and you have been blocked. And then, having been blocked, because they did try to go about it the right way, having been blocked, you start uh, approaching county commissioner jobs, and they block you. Okay, so just keep this in mind. That you've been blocked twice. You've tried to do things the right way twice. It has not worked. Okay, so then what do you do? Okay, so their tactics got violent and aggressive. And that's where they went wrong. Because, I mean, first off, let's just talk about the fact that they prevented individuals from voting. I mean, they're stripping, you know, the most fundamental rights of our, you know, of of our nation from these people. So, they took it to the extreme on the violence and aggression. But what they needed to do is they needed to have a 
tactful PR campaign around what was going on because there, what happened was everything got filtered through and the violence and aggression was the thing that the media picked up on this kind of, um, and Sheila wasn't helping anything. She's going around going on like Mari Povich or whatever. Um, who is that? Donahue? Yeah, Donahue. Yeah, Donahue. And she's saying this, that, the other thing, swearing all over the place. And you're not going to win hearts and minds like that. And so that's where they went wrong, is that they thought that the only means, the only power that they had was physical aggression okay, so rather than psychological. I, I get what you're saying. I mean, certainly the criminal activity and poisoning, you can't see that. But going on Donahue and being aggressive, I'm not convinced that's wrong. Because I think that the mentality there is, if we do nothing, if we are not visible, we get washed away. What we're trying to do is so big and the system that we're facing is so large, it's going to wash us away. So we need to make a lot of noise. And you see that in a lot of movements. You know, a lot of Making movements Making a lot of successful. noise is different than... Yes. So, I mean, you don't Donahue's mind the Donahue. a setup. Donahue's a setup. It's just like, uh, um, uh, who's that? Dr. Phil. You know, if you, go on Dr. F- if you go on Dr. Phil, you know that there is a certain... T- his viewership is going to expect things and they're going to set you up from the back end pr- producers all the way to Dr. Phil himself. There's a great uh, online, um, there's this guy that did, uh, who he's a horrible scumbag, but he did hobo fights, right? Do- he filmed these, you know, would pay hobos to fight each other. Uh, and he, they went on Dr. Phil, set, same thing, set up. What, how is that guy going to go and I think the guy just like made a mockery of the entire thing, got kicked off the show. But that even played into Dr. Phil's thing. Because Donahue and the Dr. Phil's and all of that is supposed to be you sitting on your couch and feeling comforted that that is the standard American dream. And so when Sheila comes in and she's this outsider, what essentially happens is that you have... Uh, this pushing against that those traditional norms, and if you don't really contain yourself and act appropriately, you you can divert, mm. you can push the needle, but you can't push it to where you're saying, "Can I say tit on on here?" No, just okay. don't. But she says tough, so and so, right? And you know that's it, it causes an uproar. One, the producers love that because it's it's playing right into their cards. Two, you now alienated yourself and your and your the, the people that you're trying to support. And three, it's it's uh, it's you know you think that you're going to be doing something something good for your community, but you know all of this was pre-planned before that. That's exactly what they wanted them to do. So Sheila just played oh, into yeah. the game. Well, there's no question that shows like Donahue, that's what they're doing. I, I have to think that Sheila was savvy enough to know that and said, "You're going to get your licks in. You're going to get your points, but I'm going to get my points too." Just consider what I'm saying, which is that if you're the sannyasins at this point, you might want to get as big as possible. Because then when you're suppressed and when you're oppressed as a group and you start making noise, yeah, initially people might be like, wait, they're just wacky people. And, but then secondarily, it might be like, wait, their rights are actually being deprived out there. And the ACLU is going to come in and other people are going to come in. But yeah, you don't poison people at the salad bar. Well, it depends on what you mean by big as well. Are you talking about big like puffing up? Or are you talking about big in Visible. population size? Visible. Because what you want to do is you want to get big as an, a population, not big as you're you know, puffing up trying to scare away a grizzly bear here. Because those are two different things. I mean, one of them is trying to be something that you're not. The Rosh Nish were peaceful, sex-loving individuals. 
And to bring in this level of aggression was just, one, it's against your principles. It's totally well, destroying your I'm values. I'm not sure that it was against their principles. You know, I, I think, think it was. That's your assumption, but they were pretty clear. Like, that's not what we do. We don't turn the other cheek. I mean, we'd have to we'd have to well, actually yeah, study it when they have much. their semi-automatic guns yeah. all around. Again, a documentary you just have to see. Now, by the way, I just want to say that you can, even though we're talking right now, it's totally fine to call in because trust me, you know, I could take five phone calls and he, this guy would still be talking. Oh okay, yeah, so for I, sure. I, and I, uh, you could call in and validate everything I'm saying because I'm always right. <laughs> We got plenty of time to talk. And, you know, there are some people out there, like my wife, who said she would call in. So let me do that number real slowly, <laughs> okay, so that everyone gets it. 413-545-3691. And we are going to take a quick break. Whoops, sorry, sweetie. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Just there got you, you on there. Okay. Yeah, you're in the studio with Waylon and I. Happy Mother's okay. Day. Thank you. Thanks, Waylon. You sound great, too, over there. Oh, thank you. Yeah, he's, she is a tremendous, she's a great mom. Wonderful. Yeah, she really is, and I'm so, so lucky to have her. You know, we are, she, you and I are fortunate that we really have the same values, you know. Yes. I don't know, sometimes I think we're their crazy values, but at least they're the same. So, <laughs> it's definitely fringe, you're definitely fringe. Yeah, well, well I'm in a good way. Robin and I were talking this morning, and I was saying to Robin, um, and you can chime in in a second, sweetie, but I was saying we're in this really difficult time thing with our kids because our three-year-old is totally unreasonable, and our seven-year-old is just learned reason. And I can't <laughs> understand why I'm mollifying this three-year-old brother of hers, you know, which I totally get, Harper, sweetie, I totally get it. And so I'll have to deal with this little tyrannical three-year-old who's not making any sense. And then Harper will say, why are you doing that? And I'll be like, ah, it's very painful. Right. She really wants to sort of, you know, stretch her reason muscles. You know, yeah. she's really, really pleased with herself that she, she sees the big picture finally. Oh, she's awesome. So. She's a dog. <laughs> now, uh, any thoughts on Mother's Day today? You know, not really. Happy, you know, we got this glowing review of our kids from our babysitter last night, you know. And I was thinking, that really is, it really was music to my ears. Oh, yeah. Because it's not like, you know. Did she say, did did she talk? No, she didn't like leave a Yelp review for our kids, Jeremy. (laughs) I don't know, maybe we got an app for this. Yeah, well, I got to say. That's not a bad idea. I sometimes wonder, this this is a very cool woman, but I sometimes wonder if our babysitters are like, I mean, it makes a lot of sense to praise the kids you're babysitting. A lot of sense yeah. financially. <laughs> you know, I'm willing to pay her like $82 an hour or something at this point. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because, because I mean, every, it's a win-win-win situation. No, but... It makes you look like good parents, makes the kids look good, and it makes her look good as well. It's, oh, yeah. It's, so it's, a, it's a win-win-win. I'm yes. sure it's yes, on some sir. checklist, which is when you're done babysitting the kids, tell the parents how good they are. Okay, make sure that they know that. And... Um, <laughs> You know, I think it's true for our kids, so that's really good. And uh, it is not easy, but um, it's 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 worth doing, definitely. <laughs> now, let me ask you this: as, as parents, what do you yeah. fill the babysitter into? Is it everything? Are there little things where you're like, okay, here, so this mm-hmm. is this, that, the other thing? Like, wh- at this. what point is it like you do you hold anything back about our kids? Yeah, about it. Like, anything. we're kind of like. Uh... 
Well, listen, low it maintenance. It depends on who you ask, because my, my dear wife will be like, "I'll see ya," and I'll be like, "Wait a second, <laughs> we gotta tell them like when they go to bed and stuff like that." But now Harper's old enough that she'll like she can run the show basically. You know, she can tell the babysitter what we do, like watch five hours of Barbie and then eat a giant cake, right? Harper. Yeah, she yeah. doesn't do that, but she could do that. So that's the <laughs> advantage. Harper is now, like, coherent. But, yeah, it's always a thing. Like, how, how strict are you? What happens if babysitter came back with a thing of Big Macs? They were just uh, all listen, over the place. Listen, we deal with this all the time, right, Robin? Well, you know... Um yeah, we're not very strict, though. I have a policy, which is kind of like let the kids develop their own relationship with the babysitter. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't really like micromanaging, you know, so I, but we try I, to we try to hem in the sugar. That's it, it's but we doesn't have really work that well. wonderful sitter, Lynn, and she definitely slips chocolate to them as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I was, had this experience the other day where I was taking the kids out for ice cream. Right. And I went to the insomnia cookie place in Amherst and um, and I ordered they wanted ice cream. So I ordered a small, which was which was two scoops, but they were enormous scoops. And so I, 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 I sort of panicked. I was like, no, no, no. Okay, we don't need that much. We don't need that much. And let's, let's split this up. And um, the guy behind the counter, you know, the kids were sort of clamoring, you know, no, we want the whole thing, you know. And the, and the guy behind the counter looked at me, looked at the kids, and then totally defied my order oh, and yeah. put an extra large oh, scoop yeah. they in the food. How old was he? Was he was he doing it as it a... It doesn't matter what... He was middle-aged. Middle-aged. He was middle-aged. I think he had kids himself. See, it, these are things... I'm, just such, I'm so alien to all this. Yeah. Like, that right there, if I'm an ice cream scooper, that's going to make my day. Like, that's just going to be, like, a little <laughs> shred of chaos that is now has a butterfly effect yeah. throughout the day. Oh, people are <laughs> shameless right. with it. They are shameless with it. You know, they, they will definitely do that. Did you say anything, that, What? Did you say anything to him? I was like, oh, 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 he's going to get it up. Oh. Yeah. And I just, you know, at that point, I, I didn't have any power, you know, and I think yeah. you're right. The butterfly effect was what was going on. And it did. It, it was a little, uh, it was a little thrill, a little electric shock through the system for all of us, you know. Yeah, sometimes I'll make faces at the, like, ice cream person that they, e- they either disregard or misinterpret, you know. But usually <laughs> when you put your hand under your neck, like around your neck area, like cut, that means stop scooping the ice cream up. It's not a measure to be like, put more down their throat, right? That's not the idea. Andy, there, there's probably, it's just such a foreign idea to him too because people are probably like, hey, you, you owe me a little bit more. I'm paying $4 for this, yeah. this, this scoop here. I don't know, Waylon. It's weird. It's, it's a really weird To problem. see somebody <laughs> ask for modesty in a scoop is probably like... For their kids, and then they just think you're just like the worst parent. <laughs> like, why would you cut your kid off from... For this ice cream, what is your problem? Right, there is the, that was the vibe that this guy was giving yeah. me. Like, why, why are you doing this to them? And he was sort of, you know, saving them from yeah, me. Saving them, saving <laughs> them from you, sweetie. Well, listen, <laughs> I was like, you're, doing, you're, you're doing the right thing. And I tell you, every time our kids tell me I'm the best father, it's when I'm not. And when Rocky yells bad daddy at me, I know that's actually usually when I am being a good father. You know, oh. like when I give them whatever they want, they say, oh, you're the best daddy. 
And I'm like, no, I'm not. This is not what it looks like. This is not kids. They're giving you the best daddy review. That yeah, they're yeah. just playing into just it. Just give, give the people what they want. Well, sweetie, thanks so much for calling in. I love you so much. And, uh, you know, oh, really happy sweet. Mother's Day. And I'll see you in just a little bit. I'm buying a dehumidifier. So that's good times. <laughs> All right, you guys. Right, Have fun. See you later. Bye. All right. Do you want to go back now? Listen, Waylon. I, yeah. I just so we've been talking cults. We've been talking wild, wild country. Let me ask you this: I, I, There's a podcast called Cults. It's pretty good. I mean, it's real middle brow, but they go through all these cults. Like two episodes of pop. They must have gone through hundreds of them, and there are cults happening all the time, right? There was one actually in the Berkshires, Waitley or something. Yeah, the, there um, was. Well, that's an I think an intentional community. I don't yeah. know if that's a cult. It was pretty culty. Is I it? watched. There's a documentary on Do it. Do you mean the Renaissance? No, that was a 60s, it was 70s uh, thing. this guy Metallica. Yeah, that's Renaissance. Oh, was it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh that stuff's fascinating. That was a little bit more Turner Falls. I yeah, think. yeah. And they yeah. had and they had their own uh, uh, postcard making shop or something. Oh yeah, they had their they had a birthday card shop, a painting, which you still see Renaissance painters. I think it trails back to that. They had so, a pizzeria in Turner Falls. Yeah, they were doing really well. And then they started a rock band. Yeah. I yeah. mean, like, it, if you really think about it, that, I mean, that's one of the things that... <laughs> so I, I, I hope people take sound bites from this. It's like, the thing that I really appreciate about cults... Yeah, exactly. Is, but for real, though, is their efficiency. Mm-hmm. Like... That's right. Man, like, if they only had reason... Like, it just, at some point, it just... It's just like Isildur in Lord of the Rings and he gets corrupted and he can't throw it into the flames. It's like, well, you know, it's okay. like you have a print shop, you have all this stuff, yeah. you have this this great labor force, you're pooling all of your money together with no qualms from it. It's yeah. like the, the, the specter of social, you know, socialism and everything goes out the window and all of a sudden you have all this money. It's all of a sudden this one dude has it and he's, or the Bogwan's got it and he's buying 50 Rolls Royces. Well, that Rolls Royce thing is really common. I mean, you look at cults from the 60s and 70s, they all had Rolls Royces. Now, it, yeah. let, let me ask you, because it feels almost biological. Like, this can't keep repeating itself over and over again if there isn't some kind of really structural biological thing going on in the cult. And then also, we could like step back and say, you know, what, what perceived cults actually worked, right? So the early Christians could have been perceived as a cult. I mean, to some extent, some countries could be considered cults right now. Well, that's true. I mean, you have cult of personality, but I feel like that's a little bit more enforced, right? But yes, it's a little bit of a different animal. Yeah, because yeah. We're the talking obligation, there's different... Yeah, national military enforcing, but like... You know, uh, Islam had cultish qualities, but it went on to become a durable and respected religion. You know, pretty much every religion in its origin would qualify as a cult. A cult is basically a belief system where one person has an overwhelming amount of power in that system, but they have to be living usually. That's how the definition is. And also, people give all their resources to it. I mean, the early Christians were in communes. Yeah, yeah. I'm not calling them communists because that's a whole different thing. But Marx yeah. talks about it. You know, Marx yeah. talks about the early Christians a lot and says they were very communal. They had given up all their possessions and they felt great. So that's the that's the thing I think that people get sucked into cults from. All of the it, there's a spectrum of independence versus responsibility, or they're very closely intertwined. And when you relinquish all that, all those responsibilities and you're dependent on one individual that's a lot of stress out of your life 
Imagine not having oh, to yes. think about uh, your rent or your cell phone bill because you don't even you don't even see that, Ugh. or you're just living with you know like there's a certain level of all those things that we uh, get bogged down by in adulthood. It's like cults are just a whole bunch of people in some sort of infancy, and I think that you huh. you. Um, and I, I think that that's also that, why it's but malleable. I, do, I really so do get what you're saying. Malleable. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I get what you're saying. I mean, the calling them in their infancy is probably kind of derogatory. It's hard to get around that. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, I, I, I'm trying to be pragmatic about the situation. I mean, how many? T- who who knew about the the salmon the the uh, salmonella on the on the chains for poisoning? You know, and who was like on board with that? You know. But it's that's like, not infancy. Well, so that's adult malice. I yeah, mean, but it is. You have following. to be persuaded. Yeah, you have to be persuaded. Hard. I mean, once you're, you know, Hannah Arendt talks about this with totalitarianism. You know, she talks about the different symbols for different belief systems. You know, she's obviously triangles is a big one, right? Really clear hierarchical system. She says totalitarianism. Uh, is like an onion. And we can say that totalitarianism is like a cult, right? It has a cult-like quality. And it's like an onion. And when you go in layers, the only people you're exposed to are one layer behind you and one layer above you, which normalizes the behavior tremendously, Mm. right? Like if you're all the way on the far end of the, the layers of the onion, then... You're not that invested and, you're in, and all of that. But if you're in the center, you're very invested and everyone around you is basically acting that way. So it feels very normal, actually. You lose perspective because the party and the totalitarian, totalitarian state is so powerful that the only people you're surrounded by are the higher-ups. And you saw that in Wild Wild Country, right? Yeah. And it was a privilege to be in the inner circle. And once you're in the inner circle, you're desperate not to leave the inner circle. But... And then there's, of course, the sexual activity that often brings down a cult, right? And I had a thought about this, though. I wonder, and by the way, I did really like what you said about how the the leader relaxes the brain of everyone around them, particularly removes their ego as well. Forget about paying bills. It's an ego removal machine, which allows us now to relate better because we worship the Bhagwan or something like that. And now we can really see each other for the first time. In some so way, that's these, where we differ right there. Yeah. Well, continue your thought, but I'm going to come well, back to What it. I'm saying is that in some way, the, the cult leader is like an ego dumpster, right? Where you can just displace all this ego. Now, I know we disagree, so you articulate what you disagree with about that. Yeah, so that's where, I don't, that's where people are most blinded by me uh, in this situation. When you let go of your ego, when, I'm, when, when you let go of your ego, what you're, what you're seeing between two people is the uh, camaraderie or perceived camaraderie. This could be an illusion by uh, the, the cult leader, right? And so you can drop a lot of different, you know, the, the psychological baggage between each other and you can relate to each other, but you're relating to each other because of that common, of, because of that common illusion created by the cult leader. Sure. So you're not... You are seeing each other in a different way, but I don't think that that's necessarily the realistic way. Okay. But no, I, I understand that and I agree with that. But then we don't really disagree because yeah. that different way that you're seeing them is like kind of a pure egoless way because the like, attention is displaced to the cult leader. Until the entire house of cards falls down. Right. Because then 
it's all of you see it in wild wild country i mean Everybody, all the homeless that they bust at one right. point well, in the, in so the thing, they bust a thing. homeless uh, a homeless population in, also for nefarious reasons to to bolster voting. Votes. But at some point, the that that loss of ego that wears off, and then everybody mm. that, that it comes back to yeah. an animosity that was much worse than where it started. Huh. Okay, so that is, that's an interesting thing to look at. And I do think that if you examine Islam a little bit, that the catastrophe to Islam following Muhammad's death was huge. The succession struggle was really rough. It was rough. And it almost, you know, for Sunni Muslims, Medina is paradise. It's Eden. It's what they're always trying to get back to. And I do think that was a simple and beautiful place and time for those people. When Muhammad dies without naming a successor, it leads to a, a terrible strife that still yeah, exists that vacuum. today. I mean, that vacuum psychological power. power vacuum. Right. No. And the Bhagwan had removed himself, right? He had essentially removed himself from his people, which is very interesting, too. And it was peculiar the times that he came back to. No. Like, you know, and I think that what he really does at the, at the end, I mean, he comes back to basically, essentially berate Sheila, the other, his chosen kind of successor in all of this and what he does is he humanizes himself in that that illusion one the feds catch on and they start investigating him because of everything that he said but two he begins to destroy the illusion that he is in fact some sort of godly figure right and people still look at him he was on drugs yeah (laughs) he was on drugs he had gotten hooked on drugs and these like LA types and that's an interesting thing altogether because this very fast LA crowd attached themselves you know the the cool people the cool people came and they attached themselves and one of the things they did was get him hooked on drugs so you know and when he yes it's a remarkable transformation once Sheila leaves he he becomes very pedestrian I mean he's basically uh, you guys have to see this documentary because oh, yeah. there's like five times it. an episode Netflix. where you're like, you cannot make this stuff up. Yeah. This is just unbelievable. All right. You're back with uh, Barbarian in the Valley, our 12 to 2 slot on WMUA Amherst. This is the Barbarian in question, and we're with uh, Jeremy Whalen, and we've been talking a little bit about cults. And Jeremy thought, let's go a little bit broader here. And so I wanted to talk about what is it that makes cults pop up all over the place, right? And it's not just in the United States, by the way. Although I'd be curious if there are countries that just don't have cults. Does Scandinavia have cults? I mean, I, it would have to be something that the, you know, the laws and structure of everything is just so strong that it just prevents it. Or, no, or this level of satisfaction. That's why I mentioned Scandinavia. True. You know. I, even there, I mean, what is satisfaction? You know? Well, you're always comfort gonna have, and safety. Well, no, and, no, no, you know? no. No, connection is. So I'm going to argue that connection is, is, is bless. Right? To feel yeah. connected to a community like on a manageable scale, a group of people that you can really identify with that are close, physically close. I just want to like, make a pitch here too. Sebastian Younger, who wrote The Perfect Storm, wrote a great book called Tribe. And in this book, he talks about this group of soldiers who are in the Korangal Valley in Afghanistan. Worst spot, worst spot. Oh, we have a phone call coming in. Sweet. We'll get to that. Hold on, might as well check it in. Why don't you keep talking? Yeah, I mean, so essentially what it comes down to for, for me when you're looking at cults and satisfaction, what we were, we were just talking about off the air was how these keep on popping up for in, in America, specifically America. Uh, but the interesting thing is that, you know, you can look at 
anything in a cultish way. I mean, think about cult film or think about um, just anything in, it, in w- what we deem the word cult. Yeah. Just going back to just thinking about you know, the U.S. and such an um, affinity for kind of cultish vibes. And I think that it's because I think that you're going to find more cult cultish nature in things wherever you have the ability and the freedoms to have uh, various identities. That's what it comes down to for, for me, I think, is that if you have such a wide variation of things, you're going to have one that's the, main, the mainstream, but then individuals that feel like they're out, outsiders, they're kind of ostracized, they are lonely just fringe. People. Yeah, yeah, and lonely. they need to... They need a place to to be into, and and they need that kind of confirmation and affirmation of self, and that's where they find. We, we were talking about like letting go of your ego, and that the the role that a cult leader plays. But you can even think about mm. people that don't have an ego to begin with, or are searching huh. for something like that, and then that fills the void right there. Yeah, or yeah, that's right. Or have a low sense of ego, and then to feel accepted is just huge. And of course, one of the ways cults they, there's a word for it. It's like, it's, it's not loving or something like that, but it's like love them up or something like that. A lot of cults would be like, just shower them with love uh, because people are, dry, they're so dry that they really need that water. Um, I was just talking about the Korangal Valley where these guys are fighting. You know, they're in a tribe. They're in a recognizable tribe. It is the worst place to be as a soldier. It's super violent. There's tarantulas all over the place. There's no food. There's no women or any kind of company like that, these guys leave the corn gall, they just want to go back. You know, they're sleeping like 14 to a tent or whatever it is. Yeah. They're so close. And uh, Younger makes the argument that when people come home, that they really should rename PTSDs a little bit and, and add basically acclimation. Because it's not just that horrible things happen, it's that they were so close and life had so much meaning that when they come home, it's a devastating loss of that closeness and that meaning. And, you know, yeah, I, would, I would argue that cults, I mean, I can, we can worship this pen, right? If we can suspend that, I have a pen in my hand. I know this is radio, but I have a pen in my hand. And if we can worship this pen and if it can satisfy all those needs, Displacement nice of ego. It's a nice pen. I actually don't like this kind of pen, but I wouldn't say that. Ballpoint. It's big. I wouldn't say that to the cult. Black um, but, you know, it can do everything we need it to do. And if you study cults, you'll, a lot of them, you're like, really? People believe that? But I don't think you should, we should focus on what people believe. It's what people yeah. feel. And I actually think also, if this is a cult that's getting traction and this is their belief system, it's actually a reflection of society that the way we have it for a lot of people is just painful it's a painful construct yeah and i th- I, I think that what happens too is that be- we were talking about like the removal of all these responsibilities and everything um so much of our time is in some sort of topical moving around the world i mean think about you know i go to cumberland farms and i go hey how you doing and they go how you doing and in that transaction we have both asked each other a question but yet no one has actually said anything of meaning or substance. And so, one, we just don't take as a society, we don't take the time to appreciate some of that deeper stuff. And some people, some people do, um, but a lot of our life is just kind of bureaucratic pushing of papers and things like that um, to get, the, get through a day. 
I mean, it, it's hmm. on one hand, it's it's uh, it's a little depressing when you think about it, but at the same time, you know, a cult takes that and it throws it all the way to the other side. So it throws it all the way to the other side of the, the spectrum, and now your entire day is full of this kind of deep, profound connection with with individuals and there needs to be a medium in there and i mean i'm a prag uh, you know i'm a pragmatist and so you know i i want the best of both worlds in those so story in a nutshell there yeah uh you know on one side you have uh you know normal life is just basically just going through the motions of some sort of you know uh independent bureaucracy of your own life with really no meaningful connections. And then the other side of the spectrum is the cult. And so there has to be some middle ground there mm. where we can both be pragmatic that we need to have our own sense of identity and, and responsibilities to ourselves and society, but do a little bit more and, and put a little bit more effort into making those, those yeah. actual true connections. I, I agree. I mean, because often the cult thing doesn't work and ends really poorly, what's in the middle that we can do? The other thing that Younger argues is he says, people really want to feel necessary. Like that so much of your happiness and acceptance by the tribe is to feel necessary. Oh, this is sure. why like guaranteed income is a really bad idea. Like you can give people stuff that's not going to make them content or happy. What they really need to do is feel respected and necessary in society. And, you know, I, as we've talked about before, we're heading into... What potentially is a, a, like a, a big storm of people being displaced by automation and other things. We have to figure out a way where people feel like connected and necessary. Yeah. I, I, I mean, there's, we could have a whole you know, episode of, um, of this on the idea of universal income. I think that I agree with you in the sense that you know, putting money in that, what is that universal, when you, when you talk to individuals about the, the, the need for the universal income, what do they say? It's to pay down the bills so you have more time to focus on things that we're talking about. But there's no guarantee that individuals are going to take that and put it towards the rent and spend meaning, you know, meaningful time, develop themselves and their creative sides and establishing connections with individuals.